You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I am your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Welcome back to the story of Abraham Cheer. His pastoral ministry was divided into two distinct phases. The first was full of freedom, activity, and growth. The second was largely defined by the realities of imprisonment. You may recall that Cheer's pastoral ministry began in 1648. It continued largely unhindered until 1662. During this time, his fervor for Christ's work was readily seen. And the Lord so blessed his efforts in Plymouth that by 1651 a larger meeting house was needed. So the congregation bought land in town and, quote, appropriated a house for divine worship. But Cheer did not only labor in his hometown. He frequently took what he called his journeys. Some of these trips presumably were to call on church members who lived at some distance but most were for the purpose of itinerant preaching. The goal was to see if the spirit of promise would give new life to hearers, and, if so, to form them into churches. In this way, Cheer was used by God to help plant a Baptist church in Cornwall about 1655 and in some other places. Many of the Baptist churches in the area did the same and formed associations in order to support one another in the important works of evangelism, prayer, and church holiness. They preached the gospel widely for the purpose, to use their own words of, quote, gathering in all the elect to the faith and obedience of Christ. Cheer busied himself in all this, including the newly organized Western Baptist Association. In 1658, he was in attendance at one of these meetings, with 13 other like-minded churches. While much of their attention was turned to local matters, the needs of the Jewish peoples in the world and Gentiles far away were repeatedly brought up and urged upon the churches. At times, the association gave advice to protect churches from danger. At one meeting, several prominent Fifth Monarchy men came to try and convince the churches to join their plans to overthrow the government in an armed attack. Cheer and others led the churches away from joining this rebellion. Cheer kept up correspondence and friendship with Baptists in London and central England. His advice about relations with the government was given in person to the Midland Baptist Association, and he appealed to both groups for financial support for poor pastors in western England. During this time, he also wrote several small books. One defended the Baptist cause and referenced the 1644 London Confession to buttress his arguments. The other book was an appeal to the churches to put Christ's interests first. After confessing his and his fellow pastor's sins of self-seeking and self-pleasing, he charged the churches themselves with too much private interest and being, quote, wrapped up in themselves and not the cause of Christ. Instead, they should pursue that advancement 
of that name, interest, and glory of God, so that it would be manifest in all the earth from the rising of the sun and the west. His hope was that the zeal of the Lord's house would eat us up, and love of it would wean us from the interests of earth. Clearly, Cheer had made himself busy in the work to which Christ had appointed him, and the Lord crowned those efforts with a notable degree of spiritual success. But all this was about to outwardly change. The return of Charles II to England in 1660 led to renewed efforts at uniformity in religious life. Nonconformity was outlawed with various laws that increasingly penalized the dissenters. Cheer was first imprisoned in 1661 for three months in the county jail. After release, he returned to his pastoral calling, but the next year he wrote to friends who were already in prison, saying, I expect daily the same lot. When the Act of Uniformity was slated for enforcement on St. Bartholomew's Day, August 24, 1662, he could not comply. And so on the Sunday before, Cheer preached what he called a farewell sermon. His text was Hebrews 11.35, By faith others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Speaking to his flock, he recognized that they might not see him again in the flesh, but he urged them not to grieve too much. Why? Because the justice of their case would not die with their separation or even death. Instead, he reminded them that, quote, the resurrection will bring us together again and make amends for all the loss herein sustained. Then we shall ever be with the Lord in that triumph with joy. Comfort one another with these words, and may the God of all consolation be with you. Amen. In a few days, Cheer was sent to Exeter Jail because he would not submit to men overthrowing what he called the royal right of Christ to set up institutions of worship. Regularly brought before the judicial sessions, he was given the opportunity to gain his freedom by swearing to the oath of allegiance. When he refused, he was remanded back to prison and eventually fell under sentence of premier. Premier meant the loss of all civil rights and material goods, as well as imprisonment at the king's pleasure. But his faith was too precious to be exchanged for freedom by a false oath. So he endured the troubles of prison for three years. And troubles they were. He described his prison cell as a hole in the earth and compared it to slaughterhouses of men. He wrote to friends that it was a living tomb, a sink of filth, profaneness, and profligacy. And it's clear from reading his letters that the wickedness of his jailers and fellow prisoners tortured him as much as the conditions. His circumstances were hard, and he, quote, endured many inhumanities from merciless jailers, and yet God drew near with grace. In another letter, he describes the, quote, overruling grace that makes his cell a presence chamber of the great king. He believed he was incarcerated by, quote, the wise hand of my good father, 
and that it was a good grace. And so he did not and would not give up even a small part of his profession to gain his release. That, he said, was too dear a price. Why? Weren't there fundamentals of the faith worth imprisonment, but circumstances, to use his word, that are not matters of salvation and so could be given up? He did recognize the difference, but he said they were all the truth of God that had been taught to him, committed to his care and custody. So to use these distinctions of fundamentals and circumstances, or as we might say today, secondary matters, to shift or evade prison was to let go of the royal right of Christ to exclusively set up his worship. And Christ and his rights were worth more than all his comforts, he told his people. So we see that Cheer was jailed in part for a refusal to deny baptism as part of the pure worship of God. He was equally firm about the necessity of weekly public worship. When asked what grounds there were for meeting publicly when it was outlawed, he answered, there were no grounds for not meeting. He went on to say, any part of the instituted will of God is worth suffering for. Christ is worth following in gospel precepts. Again, his reasoning is founded on the sanctity of truth, the importance of worship, and the worth and rights of Christ as king of his church. In 1665, Cheer's sister was able to gain his release. He promptly returned to Plymouth, preached, and was rearrested. He was sent to St. Nicholas Island, now Drake's Island, in Plymouth Bay, and there he was kept through several illnesses until his death on March 5, 1668, aged 41. During this, he kept up his hope through grace and wrote the following, I have never yet seen the least reason, and I praise Christ my Lord, never have been under an hour's temptation to relinquish or repent of my testimony in word or deed to any one persecuted truth of Christ for which I suffer. Christ is as precious to my soul as ever, so is his cause, work, and institutions, and every way as worthy of my all as I professed him to be in the greatest fullness and plenty. I dare not for my life balk the least truth of Jesus, for obtaining any health, liberty, or other accommodations, whatever. Pen cannot set forth the peace, passing understanding in respect to Jesus Christ and his heart love to me. So died this martyr for the preeminence and rule of Christ in his church. Some of his prison letters and poems were collected and published after his death. Especially noteworthy are the poems for children urging them to salvation. They are said to be the first known hymns written specifically for children. In this, he set an example that John Bunyan and Benjamin Keach would follow later in the century. If you'd like to learn more about Abraham Cheer and the church in Plymouth, I recommend two books. The first is the Plymouth Church History, written in 1904 by Henry Nicholson. It can be found inexpensively as a reprint on abebooks.com. It's titled, A History of the Baptist Church Now Meeting in George Street Chapel, Plymouth from 1620. 
The second recommendation is Brian Hansen's Waiting on the Spirit of Promise, The Life and Suffering of Abraham Cheer from Pickwick Publications. It's especially nice because it contains large extracts from Cheer's writings. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace. Thank you.